So I'd like to uh, begin um, a message today with a uh, brief word of prayer. Would you uh, join me in, in prayer? <clears throat> Dear Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for this church. We thank you, God, for your love and care for us, the wider body of Christ. We thank you for the body of Christ and the church in Victoria. God, we thank you that we are one. We thank you that you unite us by your spirit. And we ask God that you would just open our hearts and um, our minds to what you have to say to us. And I pray, God, that you would use me and sanctify me, set me apart for your use, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to preach a message. Um, it's, it's very familiar to me, and I might have even preached portions of it to you before, but I'm going to say right from the outset, I believe that um, I, have, I think, Travis, you've given me opportunity to preach here every year since I started Sanctuary, so that would be four years. And uh, I would like to suggest that I mean, Travis and Daniel, you would know, the leaders of the church would know this, but the, ch the church, this church has changed a lot in the past four years. And so I'm curious to know how this is going to resonate with you. But I'd like to start by saying I believe that in society in general, and especially in North America, we are experiencing or undergoing a paradigm shift in society. Would you agree? There's a tremendous paradigm shift going on. Not, we can look at the information age. We can look at globalization. We can look at um, trade alliances. They're all shifting. And I think it, in part it has to do with uh, the government down south. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> but I think that the, the world, as if we look at the news, is under incredible amount of pressure. There's a change going on, and I, I have three daughters. They're ages 21, 19, and um, 15, and they, they're loving life, and they're just riding along with this, and they're on their devices. They're very familiar with the uh, social uh, apps, and, uh, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I feel like I'm one of the old guys now, and I'm saying, let's put the brakes on just a little bit. The changes are going too fast. Can we slow this down <laughs> just a little bit? It seems like it's really fast. <clears throat> and I'm not comfortable with all the changes that are going on. I've said this before. Uh, I'm not ready for driverless cars. <laughs> <clears throat> I think the world is being shaken to its depths. And I think that the church, the body of Christ, is not exempt. That we too will experience and suffer trials. So we too will be shaken. At times we will be shaken to the core. And, it, and I think that... that uh, Sometimes we like to believe that because we're uh, in God's family that we will be spared trials. And I don't see that in Scripture. I see 
the other way around. That in, in fact, sometimes Christians suffer more. And, uh, and as I was preparing for this uh, message, I came across uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, um, where it's, uh, Peter said, Do not be surprised by the trials that have come upon you, as though something strange were happening to you. We are not exempt from trials and tribulations. I think that sometimes trials come in waves. And in, in light of, uh, I think, what this church has been going through in the past few months, uh, it w- would not, waves is not adequate enough to describe. I think it's maybe more like a tsunami. It may feel like a tsunami, what, what you're going through right now. And I just want you to know that I'm aware of that. And as, as I, that's what I'm wrestling with as I bring God's word to you today. It may feel like you're going through a tsunami. I remember as I, when I was a pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance, we'd go to conventions. And this uh, very uh, seasoned and experienced pastor uh, once got up and he shared, uh, if I mention his name, you probably know who he is. Many of you would know who he is. But he said um, he planted many churches in, in the mainland. And he said that in his experience as a pastor, that trials would come in, in cycles. And uh, I experienced this myself, too, as a pastor. I pastored in a Filipino church and a Chinese church, and, and now I'm running a center. The trials would come in cycles, and it would be like you'd have to go through a period of time, very little encouragement, very little fruit, just like hard soil. Everything you did just seemed hard, and there was very little reward. And he said that that, that happens like in... in it over and over again, and he said that if you can just get through that hard part, that a lot of times, just be, just after you're saying, like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, I think I'm going to quit, if you could just hang in there through that, through that and that quitting point, a lot of times fruit would come out. Amazing fruit and blessing and reward. And that's always stayed with me, and I, I experienced that today and and it's always been an encouragement to me to know that that's that's something that we can expect so i'd like to ask us and invite us to turn please in our bibles to mark chapter 4 i'm going to read it but it's not on the screen behind me but i'm going to read it but if you'd like to follow along in your bibles i'm going to ask you to turn to mark chapter 4 <clears throat> mark chapter 4 verse uh, 30, Mark 4, verse 30. Jesus is uh, talking about the kingdom of God, and then we go into a story, and I love this story. Okay, so here we go. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Then we switch. Verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. 
a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What I love about this passage is that I believe, and I think your pastors will tell you, that when we look at an individual passage of Scripture, we always have to remember to look at what goes before that passage and what follows. To know that the writer of the gospel, in this case, has intentions in mind when he combines these two ideas together. In this case, it's an illustration of farming, sowing seeds. Anyone farming here? Any farmers? I have four chickens. We've had them for about four or five months. They are a pain, I'm telling you. <laughs> there's reward, but there's also a lot of work. But anyway, I, I digress. Uh, <clears throat> farming. What does farming have to do with this story? It has to do with Jesus illustrating something about the kingdom of God. And in this case, it's saying, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is very small at the beginning. It's like a seed. But when planted, it grows and becomes something much bigger than we could have ever imagined it to be. I want to talk about what it means to grow something. And I'm not a biologist, but I understand that growing things all have certain traits. There's certain characteristics that um, accompany all growing things. And there, I think I, there's four of them. And I'm going to go through all four quickly. <clears throat> First of all is inner growth. Nurture. Um, and I'm going to use the, uh, the analogy from, a biology, from biology and bridge over to the, uh, the life of a church. See, I believe that the body of Christ is much like a living organism. And it should look like a living organism. It should grow like a living organism. And I believe that from what I've heard and seen and experienced in the last few months... That the, if I could say this, the trials that this church has been going through has brought the wider body of Christ together. If we weren't thinking and praying about you before, we sure are now. You guys mean a lot. But living organisms, they take on certain characteristics. First of all, the first characteristic is inner growth. And I'd like to suggest that inner growth includes things like nurture and activity that develops the inner life, prayer, Bible study, and fellowship. All living things have a life of their own, and they need that inner growth in order to live and survive. The second thing that that uh, living organisms need, uh, a characteristic of living organisms, sorry, is reproduction. 
a living organism must be able to reproduce itself. If it doesn't, it's not healthy. Uh, consider the common virus. Once sneezed, it goes out and infects others. That's a negative example, but the world, <laughs> the world Health Organization will tell you that a serious virus can spread like wildfire. The early church was persecuted. In the book of Acts, it describes the early church as being under a season, a season of persecution, and then experienced a season of peace. What happened when they were persecuted is that the church was scattered, and wherever they, they were scattered to, they began to share the gospel, and the seed went out. And it grew. The early church was easy to spread. It was not a huge organization. It was made up predominantly of house churches. And it wasn't always in an orderly and straight line. If you know growing things, you know that they grow around things. They grow around rocks. Sometimes through rocks. The the growth of the early church was not a straight line. It was not predictable. It was not orderly. It was oftentimes messy. Missionaries had a falling out with each other. Paul circumcises Timothy, even though in the Jerusalem meeting just before, they concluded it wasn't necessary. The vision that the evangelists had to go to bring the gospel out to Asia ended up going in a completely different direction from when they had planned. And there's another surprise. The vision from Macedonia revealed a man pleading for help. But when Paul and his companions reach Philippi, they don't talk to a man. They talk to a woman. The, the church in Philippi started with a businesswoman. How many of you would consider women as a target group for a new mission field? The progress of the kingdom of God is not straightforward. From the human perspective, it's often messy. It can be the story of great advances, certainly, but these are often accompanied by sharp disagreements and divisions, frustrated strategies, and unexpected closed doors. It also involves complex and difficult decisions about which there can be no certainty the right option has been chosen. You know, in Acts 15, the early church met over a... a unity issue, and they said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything except these two things. It's fascinating to me that the early church said, it seemed good. We don't 100% know for sure. It seems good, and we're going with it. (laughs) Only when we look back on these twists and turns, it becomes clear that the Spirit of God was at work through it all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood this when he said, We can never be sure whether Christ is building or pulling down. Times of difficulty and disappointment may be points where Christ begins building the kingdom afresh. It is a great comfort which Christ gives the church. You confess, you preach, You bear witness to me, and I alone will build where it pleases me. Don't meddle in what is my province. 
We are just told to do what we do. And we leave the results to God. At Sanctuary, um, we are, you know, we, it gets tiring. It gets tiring, I'll be quite honest, opening every weekend, serving a meal, making sure volunteers are there, making sure that everything's put in place, ready for the next drop-in. It gets tiring when we see the same needs of youth and we may not always see the progress in their lives like we like to see. It gets tiring sometimes. But every now and again, we see glimpses of God at work. Can I tell you one little example? There's a lady who's been coming to the center ever since I started, and um, quite loud and boisterous. And uh, we didn't know at the beginning, but we found out that she had had a son. Well, it turns out, um, since going to Lambrick Park Church, um, the youth pastor's wife scooted over to next to my seat one Sunday morning and said, you know, guess what? We are this close to adopting this boy. And it happens to be the son of this girl that's been coming to the center. Well, praise God, they just had their adoption completed or finalized, and that boy is now in the care of uh, the youth pastor and his wife at Lambert Park Church. And that just blew me away. I thought, like, whoa, God is way ahead of us. He thought of this a long time ago. We didn't know, but we're just serving these people, loving on them, and we find out that God's coming at a different angle, too. You know, God is at work in these kids' lives, and he loves them. So, inner growth, reproduction, number three. Another thing that characterizes a healthy organism is healthy metabolism. Activity. Activity that develops energy. That could include service. Getting involved in the local church, participating in a small group, participating in Bible studies, serving with the children downstairs. And fourthly, and this is where we come to the story of the boat in the water and the storm. The fourth thing, which might seem a little counterintuitive, but the fourth thing that every healthy living organism needs in order to live and to survive is Can anyone guess what it is? (laughs) Pardon me? Stillness? Quite the opposite, actually. Thank you for that contribution, though. Way to go. It's actually conflict. It's irritability. Irritation. Conflict. There's a group of scientists, they decided they would plant some trees in a room a glass room. They give it sun and water and everything like that. But it was in a completely closed room. Guess what happened to those trees? They were alive, but they didn't hold up. They all started to droop. Their branches weren't strong. Without the wind, the branches didn't, couldn't... Uh, develop any resistance, any strength. Conflict and struggle. We consider it negative, but it can be positive. A living organism is healthier when coming into contact with life-threatening circumstances or substances. Life-threatening. 
we're, we're amazed at the resilience of youth on the street. What they go through, I mean, they're living in tents and working, finding showers wherever they can find them so that when they go to work, they're at least a little bit clean. And they, drug substance abuse and partying and self-harm. And we're amazed how they bounce back and they come back to life. I'm not saying that that was good. But we're amazed at the resilience and the strength some of the youth have to come back, to bounce back. A living system will bring something about to adapt to changing circumstances. Failure to do so will result in decline and death. Success occurs when emergence happens. It's called adaptability. This is why I believe that Mark records in the text a story of Jesus getting in the boat immediately after the teaching of the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed. Why? Because the mustard seed is small, and it's fragile, and it's easily overlooked. And in many ways, the people, the disciples getting in the boat, going to the other side, remember they were doing what God had told Jesus to do, go to the other side. And Jesus, in obedience to his Father in heaven, was on his way. And the disciples said, okay, let's go. But they were a small group, 12 guys in a boat, vulnerable to storms. They could, have, they could have sank. Don't you think they would have had stories of fishermen who went out on the lake and died? Maybe they thought they were next. I get ahead of myself. So they get in this boat, and they're going to the other side, and... They hit a storm. A furious storm arises, threatening to sink them. And there is Jesus, wide awake, throwing and bailing out water, just like the rest. No, no, he is sleeping. Amazing, but he is sleeping. How can he sleep through that? I don't know. And the disciples wake him up. They wake up. Don't you know we're going to sink? You know, uh, I listen to one of my favorite bands is uh, U2, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, about music. <laughs> um, thank you. <laughs> you like U2 too? <laughs> so anyway, they, Bono, the lead singer, he goes through uh, some interesting phases in his career, and I don't know it well enough, like probably as well as Daniel would, but... Um, there was a, you know, he has, has a religious or Christian history. His one parent was Roman Catholic and one was Protestant. And in Ireland, they experienced a lot of tragedy and terrorism and civil war and strife. And, you know, you know the, the story. But I think he writes about some of the pain and the hardship he experienced. In one song, it's a, one of his songs called Wake Up, Wake Up Dead Man. And I'm not going to read the lyrics to you, but he's basically referring to Christ. Um, as a Roman Catholic, I think he re- often thought of Christ as being dead because Jesus is depicted on the cross in many Roman Catholic churches. And that's sometimes what distinguishes a Roman Catholic church and Protestant church. Protestant churches don't have a depiction of a body of Christ on the cross. It's empty, right? We believe Jesus is risen from the dead. So, but... Bono says, wake up, dead man. 
And I think sometimes that's how we feel. Where are you, Jesus? Are you sleeping? Don't you see what we're going through here? Wake up. Can you help us? That's sometimes, I think, how we feel. It must be. Um, in Bible college, um, we were taught just, uh, I, don't, I don't know how I got into this music class, but I did. And um, I don't have a musical bone in my body, but um, in Bible college, we were told that a lot of the songs that we sing aren't really um, sung in the way that they were designed or written to be sung. Like, let me give you an example. There's a chorus, I think, from Maranatha Music. It says, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you. Right? You know that song? It's actually not not meant to be a fireside feel-good song. It's meant to be a scream. It's meant to be a lament. Like, God, help me. If you don't help me, I'm going to sink. It's meant to be like Nirvana. You know, sometimes I think we should we should re- listen to rock music, heavy metal rock music, to get a feel for how, how these writers of the Psalms felt. It's not nice. I think sometimes these musicians really articulate how we feel sometimes, and that's good. We need, to ex- we need to be able to express our anger, our frustration with God, but obviously not to stay there. But we need to be able to express ourselves when we, when we feel that way. So do we have any lament songs in our repertoire? <laughs> what would it look like if we sang some really good lament songs sometimes? And I say that smiling, but that's not really how I feel about that question. But I... I'm actually thinking it's a good idea. As a church, as a body of Christ, we need to be able to show others how to lament. Someone said there's a difference between grieving and mourning. Do you know grieving is what goes on inside and mourning is how you express what's going on inside outwardly? And songs need to be able to give us that avenue to express what's going on inside outwardly. The disciples, although they, many of them were fishermen, saw the ocean and deep lakes as dangerous. They were fearful of them. I think, maybe Travis, you could help me and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the New Testament, the disciples thought of deep water and equated it with the abyss or with death. And so Jonah gets thrown overboard, and the people that throw him over just immediately say, God, we, please forgive us. We just sent this man to his death. You know, that's, there's no hope coming out of the water, so to speak. You know, Jesus gets to the other side. They meet a demon-possessed man. You know the story? And Jesus casts out the demons, and they go into pigs. And the pigs, the demons say, actually, don't send us to the abyss. And it's interesting that when the demons enter the pigs, they go where? Into the abyss. The water was like unknown, mysterious, scary. It's not like we enjoy the water. 
we go on paddle boards and boats and fishing and kayaks. But in those days, that was not a comfortable place to be. And Jesus is sleeping. Jesus gets up, commands the water and the waves to be silent. And lo and behold, they obey. They obey Jesus, Lord of all creation. This is another message for our time and era age. You know, when there's great debate over climate change, we believe in a Jesus who's Lord over creation, over all that's happening in our world, over forest fires, over drought. This is the Jesus we know, and this is the Jesus we, we preach. But Jesus gets up, turns to his disciples and says, where's your faith? This is remarkable to me, and I wrestle with this question because what, is, what did Jesus really want or expect of them? What, what was he expecting them to do if it wasn't to wake them up and say, come on, help us out? Was he expecting them to just, hey, Jesus, can you get up and tell this storm to be quiet, you know? as a matter of fact, or like, I, I'm just curious. But he rebukes them for their lack of faith. He says, we are going somewhere. We are going somewhere together. Although the storms are big and they are raging, we are going to get to the other side. Faith in Christ is a commitment of one's whole life to a person claiming to be the son of the living God. At this point in the boat, the disciples are very ordinary men, but men who had invested everything they had in in this venture of faith. They left their father's business. They left their jobs. They left their families. They left their hometowns. They left their reputations. They have left everything to follow Jesus. And now it appears as though all that they have staked their lives on is going to end up at the bottom of the lake. I don't know if they were scared about dying, but about having risked all and having been disappointed. All their dreams and hopes might have ended up at the bottom of the lake. This is a Huge risk that we're on together to seek the kingdom of God in this city and around the world. I want you to know we're in this together. Someone has rightly said, faith in the biblical perspective is not the acceptance of conventional standards of behavior. It is not primarily an effort to save our own souls. It is the exciting venture of faith in which we bet that God really is and that His world, this is his world, and that he is like Jesus Christ. It is the essence of a gamble that the gambler either wins or loses. He is either right or wrong. So it is with the supreme gamble presented to us in the call to trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our faith is either true to reality or it is a horrible delusion. It's a gamble, it's a risk. Irritability, storms, uncertainty, danger, hardship, and conflict. These are things that sometimes come into our lives, and they are 
ways in which we, they give us room to grow. They give us opportunity to grow. If we don't grow, we die. Studies have shown the survival of living systems or organisms favored a heightened sense of adrenaline, attentiveness, and experimentation. What happens to the disciples when they get to the other side? Something new happens. The gospel is introduced to a new community. Someone is set free who's been in bondage for a long time. People hear the gospel for the first time and see it lived out. I'm going to close with the verses that we heard in the scripture reading. The good news about the storm is that it had an end. Trials, they're difficult. They're all the more difficult when we don't know when they will end. You know, it's like mountain biking or biking. When I ride for the 50K, I go up this hill on West Sanitz Road. It's a long hill. But I know. I know where the end is. And that helps keep me going. It's hard when there's no end in sight. But we know from Scripture, there's a time to mourn and a time to laugh. We know the trial will end. Let's go through it together. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Thank you, God, for this reminder. Although conflicts and trials be severe, help us to grow. Help us in our faith to hold on. Sometimes we feel like we have no faith. It's in those times, I thank you, that you hold on to us. Don't let us go. Be with us, Lord Jesus. Guide us through our trials and help us come out the other side new, with new growth, new insights, new blessings. Help us, God, continue on mission with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.